Today's message is called Sprint to the Finish Line. Sprint to the Finish Line. Who enjoyed Thanksgiving? Put up your hand if you enjoyed Thanksgiving. Who ate too much at Thanksgiving? Who celebrated well at Thanksgiving? I found myself over the last couple of days um, just starting to really think about the rest of the year. You know, it's been a great year. God's done great things. But always the last 10% of the race is the most important. If you do a 100-meter race, the 10 meters at the very end determines the winner. When you're having a baby, it's that last 10% that really matters. When you are uh, in a year, as much as it feels like I can't wait to get to the end of the year to start again, this last five weeks matters a lot. That last 10% is the difference often between just coming in the pack or winning the race. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that today. And I want to share with you not only some practical things, but I want to share with you some deep spiritual things about how to prepare yourself for the next five weeks for an outstanding end to the year as opposed to just finishing the year. You know, Thanksgiving gives us a great opportunity just to kind of take our breath and get ready for that last sprint, that last move towards the end of the year. And I don't know what you've got in your mind that's unfinished, but I know in my heart there are things that are uh, unfinished, they're not complete yet. And it's my intention, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to complete those things by the end of the year. I don't want to be waiting till the middle of next year for those things to happen. And what I've discovered is that when I set a goal for myself like that, I tend to get much more achieved than I do if I just go along with the with a pack, with the kind of the pressure of the moment and kind of ride that wave. It's about making a decision to go after some stuff. So I want to talk to you a little bit about that because um, I believe it's important to hit the end of the year. So rather than getting prepared in January, we should prepare for January now. Rather than thinking about fasting in January, let's think about fasting for January now. Those things need to be done ahead of time, and I want to talk to you a little bit about that. I know Lauren, uh, who's about to give birth to our sixth grandchild, has been sending lists of things to Pastor Jane that she needs before that baby comes in a week or so. On Thanksgiving, we got a text thinking it was going to happen that night, and uh, no, the lists aren't done. We haven't got everything complete. Hold that baby. And, uh, but we know the baby will come when it wants to come. But you know, the Bible says the end of a thing is better than its beginning, and yet we often focus on the beginning. The end is what matters. The end is what uh, determines the outcome. Job 8.7 says, though your beginning was small, yet your latter end would greatly increase or increase abundantly. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians these words. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? So run in a way as to get the prize. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I find around November, it's easy to run aimlessly until the last week of the year when, bang, there are those deadlines and you better get those things across the line. It's easy to kind of fall into that running aimlessly. But Paul writes, he says, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. In other words, I go after it. I'm not just shadow boxing. I'm going after it. No, I make my body fall in line so it submits to the vision of winning is what he's saying. So how do we sprint to the finish line? 
might seem like a message for December, but we like to be early at influences and move into those new seasons before it really hits upon us so we're prepared and ready. So as I sit, and I've been doing this over the last few days, as I was on the plane flying back on Monday, and it was a long, long flight, uh, maybe 36 hours, something like that, sitting there, uh, not only thinking about Thanksgiving, not only thinking about this week, but thinking about the end of the year. What are the things that we have to get across the line by the end of the year? What are the things that I have to get across the line by the end of the year? These things could drift into next year, but what things? So some of the things I do for myself, and this is just kind of practical wisdom before we get into some uh, teaching about our spirit, but I know for me, I, I write down categories. I write down my financial life because uh, in America, the end of December is the end of the financial year. It's really important to be ready for that. So for me, uh, just with Jane and I, I look and I go, okay, where is my tax status at this stage of the year? Where am I at? And because I've learned many, many years ago that I'd rather give my money to God than to the IRS or the Australian tax office, I always do my giving, a lot of big giving, in that last month of the year. Because what happens is what happened to me just a few weeks ago is I got my return, my uh, refund from the last year. Wow, I got that. That came in just like a month ago because we were a bit late filing. And so as I look to the end of the year, I'm like, okay, I want to make sure that going into the next year, I'm not caught with a tax bill come that return time. I want to be caught with a refund. And so my mentality has always been, I want to give it to the kingdom of God more than I want to give it to the IRS. And so uh, I do my big giving in December. Try to encourage you with heart for the house. One of the reasons we put it in December and across that time is because many people are thinking the same way. It's how do I, how do I make sure that I'm ahead of what I need to be in terms of my tax? What a great thing that America has that Australia doesn't have. Australia does not have tax deductibility on your giving. Whereas, so everyone in Australia who's giving away their tithes and offerings do not get anything bad except a reward in heaven and to see the kingdom of God uh, move forward. But here in the United States, we have the opportunity because of the government to be able to get a refund on our taxable giving, on our, on our charitable giving. And so I want to encourage you, make the most of it. Don't think about it in January. Think about it in December. That's what I'm doing. I'm getting all my stuff together so that I'm ahead of the curve come January. Secondly, I look at my relationship with my sons and their families. And one of the things, even while I was in Australia, I looked and I thought, okay, what do I need to do to fix or repair or take to the next level my relationship with my sons, their wives, and their children? And so I put a plan in place that in December, that I'm going to make, have conversations, already planned to have conversations with one daughter-in-law, had a conversation with one son. I'll have conversations with the other sons as well about things that I think need to be finished off for 2022. I was going to say 2020 for a second. 2022. I do it with my wife. Why? Because who knows what's happened over the year? It's easy to forget the fight you had in March. It's now November. And I just think it's very interesting that Pastor Jane talked about being in agreement. I think one of the great things that we need to do as we hit the new year is be in agreement. 
be ready to run the race in 23 that God has marked out for us. And how do we get ready for that race? We prepare by putting to bed the things that are outstanding, making sure we've signed off on everything. And just like the government says, right, 31st of December, you sign off on your books financially. I believe it's a great time to sign off on our emotions. It's a great time to sign off on our relationships. It's a great time to say, you know what? I, you know what? We've had, a, we've had a pretty good year, but there are some things that it would be good for me to apologize for in December. It's very quiet. We've got a very Baptist audience this morning. Very quiet. You know why? Because... All of us have done stuff this year that we need to apologize for, or we need to clean up, clear up, say sorry. It might be writing a card to somebody. It might be telling somebody you love them. It might be telling, going the extra mile to do something great for that person. But I want to encourage you, just like you do with your finances as they wrap up, wrap up the end parts of your relationship so that when you start the new year, you start with a fresh potency. Now, everybody expects us to do this in the last week of December because it's the end of the year. Well, let's trick everybody and do it in the first week of December before they think it's just something you're doing because it's the end of the year. But telling those people how much you love them. remember sitting down with one of my sons when I was in Australia and having a coffee and just sitting down and talking about their future, making an impact and a deliberate, intentional leaning in to a conversation that I didn't really want to have, not because I didn't want to talk to them, because I was tired. I was exhausted. I'd flown all over the place, been speaking, partying, the whole thing had been going on, and I was exhausted, but I thought, you know what? This is a unique opportunity. I can speak into his life right now and move him forward. All of those things matter. Those concentrated moments at the right time have a massive impact. Physically, how do I hit January ahead of the curve. You know, the, it's funny for me because I o- often go uh, to the gym on the 1st of January to see thousands of other cars on the 1st of January also who've decided to take up a New Year's resolution of getting fitter. And then to go back three weeks later, I, I go back more times than that, but three weeks later to see the car park empty again. Why is that? Because we start well because we do it on a spontaneous, oh, it's the end of the year, we better do something. Whereas if we plan for it in December and say, okay, 2023 is going to be the fittest year of my life. It's going to be the year where I have the most energy, then that thing is likely to happen. Mentally, what do I want to learn in 2023? I've already already got a list of things that I want to learn in 2023. Things that are outside of my scope of, of church life and leadership But I want to learn. I want to learn those things to add to the arsenal of knowledge that I'm accumulating in my life. So what do you want to learn? Make a plan now to learn those things, not a plan in January when you're you're just inundated with so many other things. Make a plan. What is the big thing you want to learn in 2023? Spiritually, how can I be ready for January, not just in January? You know, structurally, Here's another thing that I look at, structure. I look at the structure of my family, look at the structure of our church, look at the structure of my life, and I go, how can I run faster with less energy lost? How can I be more productive but not do more? What do I need to do to cut corners but not cut corners? How do I get there more efficiently? I do that planning now. 
And part of the way that I plan is to go, okay, that needs to be tied off. That needs to be handed over. That needs to be done. I start making a list of things. So by the time I hit Christmas, I am free and ready to run that race that God has for my life. And so I want to encourage you as part of your preparation, as your sprint towards the end of 2023, to do an inventory of your own life and say, okay, where is it that I need to run? Where is it that energy's leaked out of me this year? And what am I going to do to make sure that I run this race? We only have one race. We only have one moment in time to run this race. And I want to run it with everything I have. I want to be that person who gets better as they get older, not weaker as they get older. I want to get smarter as I get older, not less able to do stuff as I get older. Guess what? All of us have the capacity to continually grow and push. And I encourage you, bring things to a conclusion. Make sure December is a concluding month for you. Conclude the emotions. Include the thought, conclude the thoughts. Conclude the relationships. I don't mean break up in your relationships. Conclude the outstanding parts of your relationships. And spiritually, get yourself on fire. And so how do we do that? I'm going to talk to you about that, but I want to just make a, a quick point, what Pastor Jane said. You know, the Bible says in, 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 in Matthew chapter 5, it says, this, these, one of the Beatitudes is this, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Now, you'll notice that it doesn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. It says blessed are the peacemakers. One of the things we're taught often, the things that we do, is to try to keep the peace. But if you've watched any of the peacekeepers around the world, the blue hats as they call them, you'll find that they're fired upon often. The peace lasts for a moment, but doesn't last permanently. And it's because when you're a peacekeeper, you're just keeping fragility alive. You're keeping the fragile nature of a ceasefire alive. And God doesn't say you're blessed. You're only blessed if you're a, peace a peacemaker. What does that mean? Well, sometimes, I won't go into all the details of it, but you know, having the strength to be a peacemaker is what allows you to bring ultimate peace to a scenario. Don't dodge and weave like peacekeepers. Don't try to keep the peace, make the peace. Because when you make the peace, you are blessed by God. Jesus clearly spelled it out in his manifesto and the great Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers. And so one of the things I've determined in my life is not to be a peacekeeper. I'm a peacemaker. No matter how uncomfortable that is, I'm going to make peace. So I want to talk to you now about how to get ready. How to get ready and what master habit we need to develop uh, and why it works, right? It was, this, it was this Wednesday just gone, we were in our prayer meeting. Uh, this is the day after I'd arrived home. We had an early morning prayer meeting, and as we were just praying and just praying for different things, I just felt God just give me an, uh, a revelation, I guess, a revelation of process. And I want to share with you today a revelation of process in your faith life. Because as we seek, so I've just given you what we need to do, now I want to talk to you about how we do it. And of course, one of, the, one of the significant factors that's been a key in our 100-year history 
but also is the key to our personal sustainability right now is our prayer life. If you were to ask every Christian, do they think prayer is important? Every one of us would say it is. If I asked you, like your iPhone does, to record your screen time or your prayer time, I bet you it wouldn't be as high as you wanted it to be for various reasons. So even though we know that it's important, we kind of have this big idea that God wants to be involved in my life, the truth is on a daily basis, we don't practice the discipline of spiritual uh, prayer and drawing close to God as much as we should. Put up your hand if you're the kind of person like me that prays more in a crisis than when things are going well. Okay, we do. We pray more when things are wrong than when things are right. And I want to talk to you today about what happens when we pray, because I want to give you another insight into praying from a slightly different angle. So there are, and so I want you to hear me clearly, because as I share this, it may sound like I'm saying something else, but I'm not. And that is, there are two reasons why I pray, two reasons I bring things towards, for, towards God or to God, and they're because they're situations that are too big for me. They might be situations that are just impossible for me to change. Let's say when my mother had cancer, I can't change cancer, so I bring that request to God. I make that petition known to God. I cannot intervene myself in that circumstance. It's way beyond my capacity, way beyond my ability. So we go to a God who does miracles and we beseech Him and we, and we petition Him and we come with thanksgiving and we ask Him to help us in our time of need with things that are impossible for us. And that's kind, of, that's kind of how we are with most things. Most things that are challenging to us, we kind of put into God's hands and say, it's too hard for us, you fix it. Or we do the opposite, which is, I'll fix it. I won't bother out praying until it's a real crisis. And then I'll fix it. And so we're either one or the other. We either give everything to God and we give it all to God to fix or we try to fix it all ourselves. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit showed me is he said, part of the reason why you pray, Ashley, is, is two reasons why you pray. Number one is to bring the, bring the things that are too big, too difficult, like changing the government's outside of my control. Cancer's outside of my control. Those things are outside of my control. And so I come and I bring them to God and I ask God to change them. He said, but the other, most of the things in your life that you pray for are actually in your sphere of communication conversation and influence. We bring to God that person we're having a problem with. We give to bring to God that job that we're having a problem with. We bring to God these things that involve us. I don't know if you're like me, but they involve me. They involve my relationship with my son. They involve my relationship with my, my daughter-in-law. They might involve my relationship with my wife. They might involve my relationship at work. They might involve a work colleague. They might involve a, a, a business deal. But they always seem to involve me somehow. And one of the revelations that God gave me that I want to share with you is this. Part of the reason we pray is not so that God will fix it, but so that God will empower us with extraordinary wisdom and capacity and favor 
and authority. So when we go to, to engage with those issues, we have more than just our own intellect, our own wisdom, our own abilities, but we are clothed with the power of God. We're clothed with the authority of God. We carry with us the grace, the power, the ability, and the wisdom of God. One of the big revelations that's come to my life is that I do not have to go into any conversation by myself. And not from this idea that God's always there, God's omnipresent, so He's always there. I'm talking about that God is on me. So when I walk into that conversation, I am not walking in to have a conversation. God and I are walking in to have that conversation. Now, I don't talk to God in front of the people there, you know, but I'm walking in not by myself. So when I pray, God's, I feel the Holy Spirit say, when you pray, what you're doing is you are building your confidence and faith to believe that I am with you. One of the greatest reasons we need to pray is so that we believe. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples? He said, couldn't you pray with me one hour? He said, pray with me unless you fall into temptation. What we think of when we talk about temptation is a temptation, you know, of lust or whatever it might be. That's not the temptation Jesus was talking about. Jesus was talking about the temptation not to believe. The greatest temptation you and I have in life is the temptation not to believe. When we hit circumstances and people come against us or situations happen that are outside of our control, our challenge is not to our challenge is to believe, and so often, because we're not praying like we should, we don't have the faith to believe. And God said to me, he said, the reason you pray, Ashley, is so that you get a belief inside your heart that I am with you, and that you are under my grace, and you are under my favor, and that you are not a person who's at the back of the pile and unseen by God, but that you are actually my child. You're actually filled with my power and my presence. If you would understand, Ashley, that you are favored by me, that I love you, doesn't matter what you've done this week, it doesn't matter how you performed, I'm not a star chart God, I'm a God who said, I bought you with a price, I redeemed you, you are mine, I love you because you're my child, just like you love your children the same way, but my love is much higher than your love, I love you. And the greatest revelation you can have is that you are loved by God. It's the greatest revelation I've ever had in my life because I always live my life trying to match up to people's performances and expectations. I had a burnout when I was 30 because Jane and I were literally running the largest youth and young adult ministry in Australia. We're doing very well, but I was trying to prove people wrong because they said I wouldn't do well. So I live my whole life with that kind of mentality. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna quit because of what you say, and I'm not gonna get angry because of what you say, but what I am gonna do is prove you wrong because of what you say. I'm that kind of person that rises up after feeling sorry for myself for a little while, I rise up and go after it. And I had a burnout because I didn't believe God really loved me. What was happening was this, I was working for God, right? Sorry, God was working for me. I wasn't working for God. It was hard to tell the difference, I've got to tell you. And then I had a revelation about how much God loves me. 
I've had many revelations about it because I seek after the most important revelation that we can all ever have is how much Jesus loves me, that how I live under His grace and I live under His favour, and that His favour rests on me. It's not about my Old Testament performance according to the law of Moses, because Jesus came so that our belief in Him would replace all of the performances that were set up in the Old Testament. Jesus came to be the one, it says the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Therefore, I'm a child of God, and if I'm loved by God, then who can be against me? Who can stand in the way of God? God is for me. God is by my side. The greatest revelation you'll ever have is the revelation that you are not fighting the battle by yourself and that you don't have to make it work yourself. Now, do we have to work? Of course, Jesus was the busiest person on the earth, but Jesus was always at peace. Jesus was busier than everybody. The Bible says if all the books of the world were written, they wouldn't even contain all the things he did. But yet Jesus was at peace. Jesus was at rest. Rest doesn't mean lying down watching the football. Rest means a rest of the spirit. Think about this. In, the, in creation, on the first six days, God worked, and then on the seventh day, he what? Everybody say it. Every what? He rested. Now, can I ask you a question? Did, was God tired? So God wasn't tired on the seventh day. Oh my goodness, I just made the moon and the stars and the sun and man, those people, they were hard work. God wasn't tired. So why did God rest? Hmm, Sila. Why did God rest? He wanted to show you and I that you must work from a place of rest, not rest from work, right? So in other words, he wants us to know that what rest means is peace. Rest is not reclining on the sofa, though that may be included. Rest is working from a place of peace. It's from a place of supply, not a place of demand. Think about our world. Our world is all about demand, 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 demand. People demand, 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 demand. God says, I'm not the God of demand, I'm the God of supply. In other words, if you talk to a mum who takes her kids out for a picnic, you know what she does in the morning when the kids are getting up? She puts away all these snacks. She puts away a bag full of food. Why? Because mum knows that in three hours from now, the kids are going to say, I'm hungry. So what does mum do? She prepares supply because she knows the kids are going to be hungry. See, when we understand that God's our Father and that God is a God of supply, we need to understand that God's already prepared ahead what we need for what we're going to face. He knew we were going to be hungry, just like my mum knew I was going to be hungry at lunchtime. And when I know that I'm loved by God and I'm under God's favour and it's not dependent on my performance, it changes everything about my life. I'm a person who had a burnout. I know what it is to go through those dark seasons of the soul. I know what it's like. And I gotta tell you, when you live by peace and rest and the favor of God, the striving goes out, the self-effort uh, takes a back seat and suddenly God's power, God's provision, God's wisdom and God's favor settles on your life. You know, when we pray, and so when you have that posture, when I pray, 
All I'm trying to do is regain my equilibrium of that posture. I need to go into prayer to find out again how much God loves me, to remind myself through the presence of God that I am loved by God. I'm under God's favour. Now, this messes with you if you're an Old Testament thinker. The law of Moses and all that kind of stuff, right? Jesus, in who he is, is everything. If we get Jesus, we get it all. And when, Jesus, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. So I'm a child of God. I'm loved by God. And because I love Jesus, because he loves me, because he loves me, it empowers me to live differently. But on a practical level, this is how it works for me. And this is how I believe God wants it to work for you. And it may already be working for you this way. When I pray, I am going to a place where I'm trying to help myself remember how loved I am by God, how much favor my Creator has towards me, that all the resource of the world and all the potency of that resource that God has is mine through Christ, that I can walk out confident and walk into a meeting, not because I'm so talented, but, but I can go into a meeting knowing that I'm this is not a fair conversation because God's with me as I have this conversation. So imagine being able to walk into a place, and it's happened to me, I can't tell you how many hundreds of times since I had this revelation. It never did before. Before I had this revelation years ago, and I need to constantly re, you know, rebuild it in my life because the world is constantly trying to tell me not to believe, not to believe anything. Just believe in yourself, and of course, that gets you, you know, a, a long way, as we can tell by the troubles in the world. But as I had that revelation of God, it changed me from being a person that just gritted my teeth. Now, I'm a person of great perseverance, right? And I'll tell you why I'm a great person of perseverance. I've got the character of a person who perseveres, but it's not based on my self-effort. It's based on the fact that I believe God is with me and he has an answer to the problem no matter how difficult it is. There is a way to get through this and we're either going to go around it, we're going to go under it, we're going to go over it or we're going to smash through it. God has an answer, I have a problem, he has the answer and the solution for that problem and all I need to do is tap into him. So what I do is that, say I'm going to talk to one of my sons, let's, let's keep it really personal. So I go to talk to one of my sons. When I go to talk to one of my sons, it's a very unfair advantage. Why is that? Because when I go to talk to them, I have the Holy Spirit. I have the Father and the Son. All of them are with me. And when I go to talk to them, you better watch out on the other side because God is on Ashley. What does the Bible say about Joseph. And it says that Joseph prospered in everything he did because the Lord was with Joseph. When you go in yourself, no matter how smart you are, you're not going to prosper at the level that brings peace to your heart. Never, never mind uh, the kind of outcomes on the outside that you want. But when I ask God, so when I'm praying, getting back to this prayer thing, when I'm praying, I'm saying, God, let me understand how loved I am. Let me understand how much you care about me. 
Let me understand, oh God, thank you that I'm favoured. Thank you, Lord, I live under your grace. I live under your kindness. I live under your resource. I live under your power. It's available to me. And I pray when I go to talk to that person in that business deal, I pray, Almighty God, you'd give me the words to say. You'd put a, a, a coating upon my words that are just so profound that they cannot resist. Yeah. Let me read to you a couple of scriptures, right? It says this in Acts chapter 6, verse 10. They began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up to his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. When I go somewhere, I say, Holy Spirit, when I walk into this situation, I pray that your favor goes before me. I pray that as I sit down with this person, there'll be something about me they like. And it won't be because I can smile or whatever. It certainly won't be my hair. But I ask your Holy Spirit to go with me. And when I walk into that meeting, give me favor. Let me sit there and negotiate. I mean, just a few weeks ago, uh, I was on a, a Zoom call with a very, very uh, important person in the whole of America. And they granted us a 30-minute Zoom call. And what did I pray beforehand? I, yes, I had my pitch, and yes, I had my things all laid out, but I prayed and I said, Holy Spirit, when I go to talk to this person, I've never met them before. This is a very, very important meeting for the future of Futures Church. God, would you please go with me? Would you be on me as I speak? Let my words be received in the most potent of ways. Let them be received. And as I had that conversation, by the end of that conversation, they said, I want to help you. Well, that's favor. Why? Favor means to be attractive to the eye. I'm not saying I was attractive, but what I said was attractive. And they said, we want to help you. Think about every circumstance that you and I walk into, whether it's with your family. Most times we walk into our family with our guns half drawn, right? Imagine if we walked into our family meetings and had a conversation knowing that the, the presence of God was upon us. When I speak into my kids, I don't speak hoping my friends, my little, you know, my little eight-year-old friend, as we kind of make our kids these days, will somehow agree with my intentions. I go in there with the authority of God to be their dad. And when I speak into their lives, I expect a response. Pretty tough, huh? I'm actually a, a teddy bear, really. I expect a response. You know why? Because I ask God to anoint me. I ask God to make me a good dad. I ask God to give me the wisdom that this dad doesn't have. I don't have the wisdom to navigate all those weird teenage years. But Almighty God does. So instead of going to, instead of reacting to a conversation and getting into a, into a Barney, we'd say in Australia, getting into a discussion of loud proportions, I go in with a calm that starts to talk about things and get to the heart of things. It doesn't work all the time. I'm not saying that I always win, but what I'm telling you is this, over many conversations, when I pray, when I don't pray, it doesn't turn out so well. But when I pray, I walk in and things change. 
Why? Because I'm aligning myself with what God wants for their life. Therefore, I can ask God to help me. When I walk into a businessman's office, I've prayed, I've written notes and I've prayed and I said, God, give me favor. Make extraordinary favor come my way. Because often we think the power is in the hands of the person we're asking. And yes, the answer may be, but what about if my approach was so seasoned with the grace of God that it always got the answer that was right? I believe that's possible. I live that way, and I'm trying to live that way more often every single day because I don't want it to be about what I can do. That's exhausting. But if imagine if every appointment I lined up during the day, I said, okay, Holy Spirit, I'm going into this appointment. Would you please help me work out what they want? Help me to bring a win-win. I'm not a win-lose person. I'm a win-win person. God, how do I get the win-win out of this? And it's not because I'm so brilliant. Literally, it is God on me. You know when I get up to speak? I can speak. I've learned how to speak over many decades. I can communicate. I've got things to share. But none of it gets into your heart unless the Holy Spirit takes what I say and drives it into your heart. Otherwise, like, oh, yeah, I just heard another sermon. Great, great. What's, next? What's for lunch? But when I pray, I say, God, would you take these ordinary words, these words that are just being created by a less than brilliant person, would you make them penetrating? Would you make them go in? Would you make them? I prayed for a very, very long time that God would give me authority. So when I would stand up and go somewhere, that God would give me this authority that would just sit on me. And I don't try to be authoritative, that wouldn't work. I'm just myself. But I want to tell you, when God gets on you, things happen. Acts 4 verse 13 says this, And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. Everybody say, astonished. Astonished. They weren't just impressed, they were astonished. When Peter and John came in with their boldness given to them by the Holy Spirit. Now, it's supernatural. So it's not like, whoa, I suddenly feel it coming on me. It's not like that. I just walk in with faith knowing that God's going to be there. So when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they were astonished. And what did they do? They recognized that they had been with Jesus. You know, this scripture came to me when I was a 20-year-old. And I prayed God every time I go somewhere, speak with someone, that people would be astonished at how ordinary I am, but how extraordinary you are through me. Very ordinary. But it wasn't until the day that I understood how loved I was by God, how much I was under His favor, how much he was upon me and for me. He wasn't neutral. It wasn't like, I'm a neutral God and you work it out yourself. He said, I am for you. I am with you. And when I started to believe that, I'm going to tell you something. When I walked into places 
things started to change. People would go, what is that on you? I'm going to go, whoa, what do you mean? Well, no, when you talk, there's something happens. And I'm going to tell you, that's not me speaking. That literally is God, the layer of grace upon me. Imagine as we come to the end of the year and we go after these things. Imagine those conversations you need to have. If you went to God beforehand, you said, God, I know you love me. I'm coming to you to pray. The reason I'm praying is so that I can be filled up with faith as well as asking you to do the things I can't do. I'm asking you to equip me to do the things I can do. And would you help me go into those conversations with a sense of sacredness, with a sense of understanding this is a big moment with my children or my grandchildren or my spouse? And would you give me the words to say, I'll write my own words. I'll think it through. I'll come from a place of humility. I'm going to sign this off. I'm going to finalize this. If I have to say sorry, I'll say sorry. If I have to repent, I'll repent. It doesn't matter, God. I want to finish this year with everything ticked off. Everything's done. I'm going to tell you something. You're going to find the most incredible outcomes take place at the end of 2022. If you're watching online today, God wants to do that for you too. As we come to the end of 2022, that we would see the masterful hand of Almighty God giving me favor where there shouldn't be favor, giving me breakthrough where there's been blockages, giving me peace where there's been angst, giving me a sense of grace where there's been striving. What God wants to bring to us, and that's why He's called the Prince of Peace. He wanted to be known by name of the Prince of Peace. Why? Because when He comes, that word rest means peace. God wants us to be at peace. You see, I, the reason I preach this is because when I look out across the audience, I see such giant slayers. I see such big people. I see people with such profound futures. You may have achieved a lot of things, but it's nothing compared to where God wants you to go next year. For some of us, it's going to be a reversal and a revival of things that have been lost or dormant in the last few years. 2023 is going to be an amazing year. But I'm going to tell you how amazing it's going to really be is when we understand how loved we are, how much under the grace and the favor of God we are. Like a ball, you know, like those round balls filled, you know, you try to put them under the, under the in the swimming pool, try to pull them under water and they just bounce to the surface. God's made you with His grace to be exactly the same. Whatever they did to Joseph, He just bounced to the surface. Whatever they did to him, just bounced to the surface always found himself at the top end, even if it was in the prison. Why? Because the Lord was with him. The reason we pray, there are many reasons, but the today that this focus is this. The reason we pray is so that we will believe that the Lord is with us. Not in some kind of ethereal, intellectual way, but in a heartfelt conviction kind of way, because when we walk that way, when we move that way, things start to happen before our very eyes. That'll just blow you away. I'm shocked when I look at what God has done 
for me. Seriously. I look and I go, this is incredible. It can only be the hand of God. And I want to pray for you right now. In this place. If you're in this place, you say, Ashley, I have the yearning in my heart that just like Joseph, he would feel, I would feel the hand of God on me. I would know that the Lord is for me. So with every eye closed, every head bowed, if that's your heart's prayer and heart's cry, I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over you, but I want you to cry out to God and say, God, make me like that. Give me that anointing. Give me that ability. Father, in the name of Jesus, for every wonderful person in this room, I pray that you would help them understand how much you love them. Lord, I pray you'd help me understand again how much you love me. That we'd live under your favor. That we would stand and walk like we're children of the Most High God. Like that you are for us. You are for us. You are for us. I ask you, oh God, that you'd, we'd be like Joseph. That the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered in everything he did. And I pray that you'd be with us today.